Vida Abundante welcomes you to our SoundCloud page. We'd like to invite you to download our app, available in the App Store and on Google Play. Also, you can now follow us on Instagram under the name Vida Abu or on Facebook under the name Vida Abundante Cicero. for two weeks now. This is going to be our second week where we're talking about the prophet Hosea. And we're, we're discussing why this is important for us today. This is a book that was written roughly in the 760s BC. So you got to always ask yourself, like, why are we spending time in a book that was written a long time ago? And, and as a matter of fact, the entire Bible is relatively old because it's about 2,000 years old when we put things in context, in, in the New Testament and the Old Testament. So it's like, why do we pay attention to this stuff? Why do, keep, why do we keep learning about this stuff? Does it really hold any value for us? And what I love about Hosea is the beginning word in the first verse that we read last week. It says, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. That was the first verse that we attacked last week. And, and, and it just kind of centralizes the main theme here that this is, whose word is it? The Lord's word. This is God's word. This isn't Jonathan's word. This isn't Hosea's word. This is what the Lord says. That's very important because you come to that, that deciding factor in your life. Am I going to agree with this being a word of God? Or is this just another writing in another ancient book? So that's some decision that you might have to do as we keep talking and discussing about this book. Last week, we, we prepared the, 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 the scene, right, what's going on in Israel. We, we, we saw that Israel, at the time of Hosea's writing, this is a prophet in the northern kingdom. The north and the south are divided. Israel and Judah on the south, it's a divided monarchy, and uh, they're, going, they're up against each other. But during this time of prosperity and relative peace, they got 50 years of, of kind of good times, of, of kind of a renaissance of, of good times they're 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 prosperous they have agriculture they have work they have jobs they have a lot of things going for them so they're in a good place at the moment uh, that's their physical surroundings that's their historical setting that's the historical setting that we see in Hosea and so when we read the book of Hosea we 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 notice a theme occurring in the book of Hosea which is kind of a down a God that is angry, oppressive, and against his people. And we say, what's going on here? If, if this is a good historical setting, if, if things are going good and well, and, and the people are prospering, and there's money, and there's greatness in the land, why is God so upset? That, you'll get that if you read through the book of Hosea. And I trust and I pray that you guys have read all 14 chapters of Hosea, how many of you guys say amen? By faith, say it. Even if you haven't read it, just say amen. Just say amen just for the heck of it, just so that I can feel good for a little bit, uh, that, you, that you're thinking about reading it. But the whole 14 chapters describe this notion of an angry God that's upset, but then we see his grace and mercy at the end. So it's not just God is angry. But we've got to ask ourselves, why is God angry? Does God get angry just for the heck of it? Is God just... Uh, so into himself that he just wants to get mad when things don't go his way? Well, that's not the case. 
So the prophet Hosea is at the beginning of the classical writers, of the classical prophets uh, before Babylon, before, before all these other captivities and before the destruction of, of Jerusalem. And, and then we go into this hiatus of 400 years that we know nothing about uh, in, of Israel during that time. So it's, it's a very important leeway into knowing what's going on in the prophetic book of Hosea. And so verse 1 We've been spending a lot of time on just one verse because I really want you to understand what the rest of the book is going to be about. And these names that appear in verse 1 are very important. These names give us not only a historical setting, which is what we talked about last week, but they also give us a spiritual setting, a spiritual scene of what is happening in Israel. And this spiritual scene like a light bulb in the dark place, like a lamp in in the dark, it lights up why God is upset. As a matter of fact, if you read chapter 4, like if you go home today, you go to lunch, you you watch a movie, you watch a little bit of Netflix, and then you you say to somebody, hey, I'm going to be in my room and I'm just going to focus on reading the book of Hosea, you're going to come across chapter 4. I'm just praying that happens, so I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, But you're going to come across chapter 4. And chapter 4 is an indictment. God is indicting Israel of all their crimes. And this is why he indicts them. So it's very important that we can't just skip over verse 1 and and kind of get to uh, the rest of the book. We have to understand why the Lord mentions these names so that the people that read this book in that moment and even after that moment understand the historical setting and the spiritual setting. So we're going to read it together one more time, and then we're going to go through it one name at a time. And it says, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So right there we have that divided monarchy. We have Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And the only king of Israel that is mentioned is Jeroboam. And we'll learn why that's significant in a little bit. But there's one, two, three, four kings mentioned from Judah. And if you remember last week, Hosea is preaching and speaking from Israel. He's not living in Judah. So it's kind of interesting to note why he's addressing these Judean kings when he's living in Israel and his message is primarily for Israel. We're going to get through that when we get to the whole book. But it's very important that you guys start noticing that and understanding that. Because in the New Testament, there is a promise of a Messiah that comes from what tribe? The tribe of Judah. Judah is where Christ is going to be it's going to come from. The, the lineage that Matthew traces is from Judah. And so right here we have traces of the kings of Judah and what they did. So it's very important for us to know that and understand what's going on. So, so we, here we have the, the spiritual context. Before Uzziah came to power, there was nine kings before him. So this is where, where he's talking about. He says, in the days of Uzziah, that's one of the kings of Judah. And before Uzziah comes into power, there's nine kings that are before him, five bad kings, 
that the Bible mentioned as bad. And when the Bible mentions that kings are bad, it's not because they just did bad things. It's because they went up against God. They turned their face from God. You can read that all in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. You can read those stories there. And there was only two good kings, King Asa and King Jehoshaphat, that came before Uzziah. And then including Uzziah, there was only two that were so-so. Uzziah was a king that was like kind of bad and kind of good. At the end, he was a little bit more bad than good. But this starts laying the foundation of what spiritual atmosphere was going on in Judah. Now, you got to remember that Judah was a tribe dedicated for the sole purpose of worshiping God. You guys remember that? If you guys go back even to Samuel's time, you guys go back a little bit to the kings, and I can't dive into the, that history too much today, but just remember that Judah was one of the 12 tribes of Israel that were dedicated for the sole purpose of bringing God worship. Then when the, the monarchy divides, it, it becomes a very depressing state, and we see that through the lives of these kings. If you open your Bible, keep your Bible and uh, your, your, your finger in Hosea, but just go back. Just go back to 2 Chronicles. If you turn the pages a bit, 2 Chronicles, and I want to read to you from several of these chapters because I want you to see why these names are important. And when you realize why they are important, you'll begin to see the spiritual atmosphere of Judah that you will eventually bleed into Israel. So look at 2 Chronicles, chapter 26. King Uzziah. 2 Chronicles, chapter 26, and I'll read from verse 4. Here we have the good part. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all his father Amaziah had done. So what did he do? He did good before who? The eyes of the Lord. It's always a good thing when you do good things before the eyes of God. It's not just necessarily that you do it before man, but when God approves of them, they are good. Now read verse 5. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah. Who is Zechariah? He's one of the prophets in, in Judah. Who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him what? Prosper. As long as he did what? As long as he sought the Lord. So, here we have this prophet Zechariah kind of teaching this young man. Uzziah, the ways of the Lord. And kind of like his father before him, who was also relatively good, relatively bad, they, they sought the Lord, but to a certain extent. But he did do and he did obey, and listen, at least to that extent. As long as there was someone that was there with him, teaching him the ways of God. This is very important, because this happened 3,000 years ago, the need of a spiritual mentor that teaches the person to seek after God. 
And when that person seeks after God, God prospers. As long as he sought after God, God prospered. That's very important. Uzziah the king needed it at the moment, and I believe that many of us today need someone to guide us in the ways of the Lord. It was during this prosperous time, as long as he had his, his, his prophet with him and the guide, his spiritual guidance counselor alongside of him, the Lord would prosper him. He became one of the greatest uh, military leaders of Judah. Defeated the Philistines, the Arabians, and the Menuhites. He paid tribute to the Ammonites in verse 8 from the same chapter. And he had, in verse 13, it says he had an army of 307,000 men. A huge army. Verse 15 of chapter 26 also describes him as inventing military weapons. This guy had weapons of mass destruction to fight up against the enemy. So he was a great military leader, and that's why if you look at verse 15 from chapter 26, it says of Uzziah, and his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. This guy was famous. He was known throughout the land. He was big time because God was with him, and God prospered him in everything that he did. He multiplied, he, he, grew, he grew the farmhouses of agriculture, he, he, he had vast build, building programs, he was a military genius, and he multiplied the riches of Judah. This is a good guy. This is an awesome king. And I think that's why Hezekiah, I mean, uh, why Hosea mentions his name at the beginning. He's living in the same time frame. And he mentions his name, but why does he mention it? And why is God angry with the people of Israel? Well, look at what verse 16 says. We're still in Second Chronicles chapter 26. Look at what verse 16 says. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. What happened when he grew strong? He grew proud. What happened when he grew strong and mighty and what happened when everything was going good? He became arrogant. And, and more than that, what does arrogance do? It makes you unfaithful to you have to really understand that point. It's not just that this guy grew proud and was arrogant. You, you've seen arrogant people. They walk around a little bit like uh, they, their nose is stuck up. They, they act like they own the world. You kind of get, get that. But more than just acting stuck up, this guy became unfaithful to the Lord. Now we have in the earlier, in the earlier parts of the chapter a guy that sought the Lord. And as he sought the Lord, he prospered, right? So what happened? He was seeking God. He was with God. God gave him amazing talents and abilities, and he would prosper him. And his arrogance got in the way of what God was already doing, and so he became unfaithful. This is, this is at times what, what gets me when I, when I look at this, because I see these guys, and I'm like, why do you... Why would they do something like that? But then I got to ask myself, like, hey, 
you may be in the same boat too. Like you, you have acted the exact same way. This guy was getting everything from God. He was walking with God and being prosperous, but he still some way, somehow wanted more? Does that make any sense? He wanted more and he became unfaithful to God, so much so that he even wanted to develop his own worship style. See, verse 16 is very important because it says he began to offer, offer incense on the altar of incense. And why is that important? Because specifically for the Israelite kingdom and the, and the kingdom of Judah, the only people that were to offer incense at the altar were those who were consecrated, those who were from the lineage of the priests. Only priests were able to go up to offer incense. And so his arrogance said, and I could restore, I could redo a new type of worship in the temple, in the, in the tabernacle. I could go in and do my own thing because I am king. I am above everything else. He grew arrogant. He wanted to develop his own worship style. And then the priests went after him in verses 17 to 18. And they were like, don't do it. Kind of warning him. Look at verse 17. But Azariah the priest, he's also known, uh, it's interesting that Uzziah is also known as Azariah. But here we have Azariah the priest in verse 17. Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And you imagine this, confronting the king. You have 80 people with you, and you're, gonna, you're about to go confront the king for doing something evil before the Lord. And in verse 18 it says, And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense of, to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron. Like It's not your job to do that. You know that. It's our job to do that. And look what happens in verse 19. Uzziah grew angry. Kind of like an arrogant person, we kind of know that. He grew angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord. The Lord put his hand on the king and leprosy broke out. If, if you know a little bit of Old Testament times, you know that leprosy was the worst type of disease that you can have in that time. It was the type of disease that was visible. You see, sometimes they compare it to our modern day HIV or our modern day AIDS, but you don't know too well when you see somebody with AIDS or HIV. You can't identify them immediately. These people were outskirts because you can identify the sickness immediately. It was visible. And where did it happen on Uzziah? Have you ever had a zit on your forehead? It's like you can't do anything about it. Like, if you're a guy, you can't cover it with bangs. Like, you can't do bangs, you can't cover it. You got it right there, bam. And Uzziah, leprosy began to break out on his forehead because God took serious the worship of his people. It's about worship. Always remember, this is about worship. There's many things in the world that we can bow to. God wants his people to worship him and him alone. That's an exclusive claim. This world does not like exclusive claims. But God is an exclusive God. You will worship me and me alone. Don't mess with worship because it deals with God. 
Leprosy broke out. And in verse 21, we have this sad ending. It says, King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. The once prosperous, mighty, rich, great military leader, Uzziah, was now set aside to the garage of the kingdom palace, and he lived there the rest of his life because of the leprosy. In the old days, leprosy, you had to be separated from the people, separate, separated from the holy places of God because of his arrogance. You say, like, man, that's messed up, God. Why would you give him leprosy? That's, that's not cool, man. That, you should have had a little bit more compassion on him. Well, God was compassionate on, compassionate on him his entire life. In the beginning, he was with them constantly, and he had already warned him. He had given him Zechariah, the prophet, to walk beside him, to teach him the ways of God. Uzziah grew big and grew arrogant and moved away, and he got leprosy. So this begins to set the tone, right? You go back to Hosea. Go back to the book of Hosea. Yeah, we're studying Hosea, but you need to know the history so you can understand it. So back to Hosea, we see in chapter 1 that he mentions in the days of Uzziah. Hosea was around for this. Hosea understood what was going on with these kings. By him mentioning the name Uzziah, he understands what Uzziah did and what God did to Uzziah. And if Uzziah did that, can you imagine what the people did after? This is going to become very clear when we start reading further into the chapters. But this is setting the spiritual tone of Judah. This is, this is Judah. This is the original people that are supposed to worship God. And they, they're following their king. What's the next name on the list? Can someone scream it, shout it? So the first one is in, in the days of Uzziah. What's next? Who? Jotham. Even if you, if, if you don't know how to pronounce it, just, just say something with a J. Jotham. We read in 2 Chronicles that Jotham was his son and began to govern alongside his father while his father was still in in the outhouse, in the garage, Jotham was reigning alongside of him. And what did Jotham do? How was Jotham? And why does Hosea mention Jotham? Well, Jotham's father was kind of good, but he was kind of bad at the end too. What about Jotham? And why does Uzziah mention Jotham? Well, now let's go back to Second Chronicles. See, the Bible can explain itself. Second Chronicles, we just keep going along in the story. I don't think I'll ever be able to teach from Chronicles, so this is why I'm spending so much time in Chronicles now because I don't think we'll ever get around to it unless I live like about 100 years, but, and I don't know if you guys are going to stick around that long either, so I'm going to take advantage of it for right now. Uh, Jotham, go back to Second Chronicles chapter 27. 
Let's learn a little bit about this man. Jotham was 25 years old in verse 1 when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, and the daughter of Zadok. And in verse 2, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. How many of you can give him a round of applause? Good job, Jotham. You did, you did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah had done, except, ah, oh, those commas. And that, that word, except he did not enter the temple of the Lord. But the people still followed corrupt practices. So though he did some of the good things in the eyes of the Lord, he didn't go all the way. His father did evil, practiced evil worship, before God offered, offered incense that didn't pertain to him. So Jotham, probably a little bit angry with God, said, man, God gave my dad leprosy. He gave him this ugly disease. I'm not even going to go in the temple. I'm not even going to bother to worship God. And you got to, every time this happens, you got to rewind and remind yourself, Okay, this is the kingdom of Judah, a kingdom of priests designed to give God worship 100% of the time. And Jotham's like, the temple, I'm not even going to bother to go into the temple. And, and then you, you go into a, a deeper meaning because the temple was the ultimate designation. It was, it was the, the most important place for the people. Judah, the kingdom of Judah, held this very important city. Do you guys, can you guys guess what important city was in the continent or the country of Judah, in the region of Judah? It's a very important city. Just give it a guess. Someone will give you five bucks if you get it right. I heard, I heard somebody say it. Just scream it out. Jerusalem. You get five bucks. Someone give that lady five bucks. I can't see who it is. I, don't, I forgot my glasses today. Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the high point of worship. That's where the temple is. That's where King Solomon erected the temple. That's where the, the, the future of return of the Messiah will be. That's what people are fighting about right now with the Muslim world and the Israelite world. They're, they're battling for Jerusalem and the temple site. This is a very important thing. And Jotham says, I'm not even going to bother. I'm not even going to go in there. And because he did, the, he did not go in, the people continued doing evil. See what happens when bad leaders rule? People follow. That's why I take my job very seriously by, by preaching you the word of God. I know there's many other things that we can talk about. We can talk about finance. We can talk about uh, the culture. We can talk about a lot of cool things now, but it's not my job to discuss what's going on in culture and what, what, mo what will motivate you. You need to learn about God. You need to know what God says through his word. And I take that super seriously. I take that to heart because I need to guide you in the ways of the Lord. I need to guide myself. I need to guide my family in the ways of the Lord so that we can live according to God's ways. There's a lot of other ways to live. You can live, I'm not telling you how to live. I'm telling you what, how God says you should live. There's a lot of other 
ways and avenues that you can explore, be my guest. But this is the way of the Lord. And God demands from his people. We have to learn that. The people kept doing evil before God because their leader didn't show them how to worship at the temple. I'll go back to Hosea. I'm going to go try to go as quick as I can because I don't want to spend another week in verse 1. The next name after Jotham is? What? Ahaz. If, if you're about to have a baby boy, please do not name him Ahaz. Even though it sounds cool, you're, gonna wanna know, you're not going to want to name your boy Ahaz after you read a little bit of his history. Who was Ahaz? Well, let's go back to 2 Chronicles. If you've never read Chronicles, you'll be like, oh, this book's in the Bible? Wow, this is cool. It gives you a little bit of history. Chapter 28. Who was King Ahaz? If you look at verse 2, we'll skip down to verse 2, and it says, But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Himnon and burned his sons as an offering. Was this a good king? No, he wasn't. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, it's crucial to identify the terminology here. It says, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Ahaz is a king of Judah. Why is the chronicler saying that he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel? Well, we'll learn later on that all the kings of Israel, except for one, were evil. So basically, Israel was led by evil kings from the beginning. And this is saying that Ahaz walked like them. Evil. What did he do? He offered his sons as sacrifices. You see the progression here? The first king that we, that we studied, Uzziah, was, he offered incense. He shouldn't have offered in, incense. That was bad. That was, that was not what he was supposed to do. Jotham, he didn't even go into the temple. But then we got this guy. This guy didn't just offer incense. This guy burned his sons to offer incense to Baals, to other gods, other gods from other peoples. And remember again, contrast it and put it right next to the fact that Judah was a place of true worship to God. And here we have a king leading the people that is sacrificing his sons and worshiping bells made out of metal images. Keep reading, verse 3. And he made offerings in the valleys of the son of Himnon and burned his sons as offerings according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. He copied the nations that the Lord drove out. You see why God drove them out of Israel? Because they were bad. Because they were sacrificing their sons as sacrifices. God drove them out earlier on. And this guy's bringing them back and doing their practices. Verse, verse, um, let's go to verse 4. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Sacrificed in the high places. I want you to visualize this. The Bible, if you read 2 
2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, you'll identify this, and, and the prophets, you'll identify this, this word and phrase about the high places. The high places were not only mountain and, and mountaintops where they would go offer sacrifices. The, these high places were also altars that were erected all along the city. So you would have these little, like, platforms, like if you can imagine, like, this little platform at the corner of Austin and Cermak, right? Or, or you will have another one of these little platforms at the corner of Cicero and 47th. Do they cross? Yeah. Cicero 4. Like, you'll have all these places all over the town where people will go offer sacrifices. And this is Judah. This is God's chosen people. And this guy erects them all over the town so that they can worship Baal. Have the people gone astray? Man, they're going further, deeper into the pit. Look at what happens. This, this is impressive. This is why when you know the history, you, 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 you get like impressed by what, what goes on. Chapter uh, 28, if you look at verse 16 of 2 Chronicles. What does King Ahaz do? It says, at the time King Ahaz sent to the king of Assyria for help. Okay, this is very important. We're gonna, I don't think we'll be able to get into it now, but this is very important. He seeks help from the Assyrians. Last week at the end, I kind of told you that during this prosperous time, this big empire, the Assyrian Empire, was relatively asleep, but they were starting to gain force and starting to wake up. And this empire is starting to dominate. As a matter of fact, by this time in Ahaz's career, the, the Assyrian empire from the north, if you, visual, if you kind of visualize where the Mediterranean Sea is, Israel is on the, on the shore of it, on the border of it, and then all of the Middle Eastern part is coming in, which was the Assyrian Empire, and they're, they're coming down on Israel. Huge empire is starting to take over the towns of, uh, of God. They've taken over to this point the Sea of Galilee. If, if you know the Sea of Galilee, it's up in the north. The Sea of Galilee is where Jesus ministered. And, and these people are starting to take it over, coming down, coming down. And what does this king do? He asks for help to the king of Assyria. This, this is how stupid and bad this king is. They're in conflicts with Judah. And so in order for them to avoid and winning in Judah, they, they seek uh, refuge in Assyria. So they're fighting. Israel and Judah are fighting. And now he's seeking refuge in the kingdom of Assyria. And what does the kingdom of Assyria do? Look at the king in verse 20. So Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. <laughs> That's like God like laughing. Like you're going to seek help. Like, like even in your worst times, like this is a moment where you should ask for forgiveness. This is a moment of devastation in your life. You should humble yourself, say, God, I messed up. I did wrong. 
please forgive me. This is that moment. They're under pressure. And what does Ahaz do? No. Let me go seek refuge in my enemy. Let me go get my enemy's help so that they can cover me and get my back. What's your enemy going to do to you? Well, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Syria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. Verse 22. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. So in his worst time, instead of asking for forgiveness, what did King Ahaz do? He became more angry and hated God even more. I just can't help to think that this reminds me of a lot of people in our modern day church. People get upset with God because they feel God messed up their lives some way, somehow. God did something bad, and because God, did, or, or their lives are a mess, a complete wreck, and then they don't have anyone else to blame but God. And they become angry with God. And I've heard of people that, that, that have even said, I used to be a Christian, but now I am an atheist. I don't even believe in the, the concept of God. Forget this. This is horrible. Uh, why would we want to uh, subjugate ourselves to a, a made-up entity? Why do we follow a, bo a book of rules that, that has no uh, relevance for our days? And people begin to hate God. They leave. And the Bible says that King Ahaz, in the moments of his distress, became more faithless to the Lord. Verse 23, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, but they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. Look at verse 24. This is incredible. Verse 24 says, And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God, cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God, and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. During this evil, he became more evil. And then finally in verse 25, in every city of Judah he made a high place to make offerings to other gods, provoking the anger of the Lord, the God of his fathers. So this guy knew what he was doing. He purposely, purposely erected altars to worship false idols to get God angry. Like, dude, have you not learned your lesson? Do you not know who you're messing with? And this is King Ahaz. So if you still want to name your kid Ahaz, by the end of this sermon, talk to me at the end of the, of the service so we can really pray for you because I don't think anyone, any one of us would want to name our kid Ahaz. He made high places to worship other gods, knowing full well that the anger of the Lord was going to be upon them. I mean, even you and I know that the Ten Commandments specifically say you shall not worship other gods. This guy was purposeful in doing so. What ends up happening roughly with Tiglath-Pileser? After Tiglath-Pileser III, uh, Salmanazar, another weird Assyrian name, comes in and takes over all of Israel. In the year 722, B.C., the, the capital of Israel, Samaria, falls under siege by Assyrian control. And about 13,500 Israelites are deported back to Assyria. So we have a deportation 
of, a, of Israelites going back to become slaves of another empire. And just think, for those of you who know relatively a little bit of Bible knowledge, what happened in the Exodus? What did God do in the Exodus? He liberates his people from slavery. And he tells them, don't worship other idols. He, he gives them the land. He, he, he drives out these other false, false nations that bring worship and sacrifice their sons and, and do all this profanity in the house of God. They, he drives them out of the, of the country so that they can live in peace with God. And what, is, what, what's the, what, what's the, what have they come to at this point? They've come to adopting all of those worship practices for themselves. And their capital is gone. And they're under now Assyrian control, and they're deported to become slaves of Assyria. If you're like me, and you like a little bit of history, and you go back to the annals of Assyrian history and and you go look it up in a, not in a church, but you go to uh, encyclopedias, you go to the internet, you go find this uh, uh, amazing uh, wealth of knowledge that we have all over the world. And you go look up some of the records and you'll see that in museums, the Assyrian empires uh, during this time, they have what they, have, what they call right now a famous, the black obelisk. So it's this little uh, image uh, like a little trophy that the Assyrians made. You can look it up, the black obelisk. Look it up online. You'll find the image of it there. And this is a little bit earlier than, than this time frame, but you can see how the Assyrians put the names of the kings of Israel on this little trophy showing that they subjugated the people of God. This is, this is in the external from the Bible. And then it goes on to Tiglath-Pleasure and Salmanazar the fourth and the fifth. They they say they say they write down in their annals and in their records the names of Ahaz and Jehu and all these other Israelites. They write their names down and they say they were subjugated to us, the kings of Israel, the kings of Yahweh. They put God to shame by what they did. Let this be a lesson to us. That when we seek to find our help and resource in other gods, God will put us to shame. But what I don't want you to leave with today is that's just the beginning of the book of Hosea. We still haven't gotten to the end where God will restore his people once again. Amen? Amen. So we'll still be on, chat on verse 1 next week. I didn't get to finish that last name. There, there's, a, there's two names there that we haven't finished. The next name is very important, so if you have a chance to look it up, Hezekiah, look it up. Keep following Chronicles, and you'll, be, you'll know everything next week. So I'm going to ask you guys questions next week on what Hezekiah did and if he was a good king or if he was a bad king. So let's stand to our feet or to our hands. Let's pray. And uh, at the end of the service, after we pray, you know, just try to connect with somebody. Try to meet somebody and, and do your best to... Say hi to somebody that you don't know. And try to memorize somebody's name too, all right? And I hope I see you guys here next week. And get ready because we're going to be announcing a lot of cool activities for the English service during the, uh, the rest of the, the, these final months of the year, November and December. We're going to have Christmas parties, Thanksgiving parties, and then just time to get together and eat, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity that we have 
today to come to submit ourselves to your word. To learn of what you've done in the past so that we dare not repeat it in the present. Father, that we learn from these kings of what not to do. That you require worship from us. Proper worship. Proper worship that comes from the heart. Father, that we don't commit the same mistakes as King Uzziah, who being helped and, and prospered at the beginning of his life, at the end of his life, he gave you up. Lord, there may be people here that have been giving you up for a while. Maybe people here that are thinking about giving you up. Father, I pray in the words of Hosea that you call them back and say, you are my people, and I will be your God. I pray restoration of lives today. I pray you bring people to your feet and let them know that there is no other alternative out there. When you seek refuge in the enemy, the enemy will destroy you so that they come back to you in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen. amen. See you next week.